0: Today on Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier Reese and the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior. The life of Christ was
1: looking towards the cross. The cross of Christ was looking towards the resurrection. And the resurrection was looking towards the forgiveness of sinners. God knocks on the door of your heart right now and says, do you want to let me in? Do you want me to forgive you and give you all that's necessary for life and godliness? All you have to say is yes.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. We read in John 1.29, as he sees Jesus approaching, John the Baptist announces to the crowd around him, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He knew that Jesus was the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, the one whom God's prophets had promised would save mankind from their sins. The simple truth of Easter is that Jesus, our sacrificial lamb, laid down his life to pay for our sins, but rose again three days later, giving victory over sin and eternal separation from God to all who put their faith and trust in him. Our teacher, Pastor Xavier, continues a threefold look into the cross and resurrection for this Easter. The message is entitled, um, Raised to Ensure Forgiveness.
1: That's what the resurrection is all about. On Easter morning, the tomb of Jesus was found empty, proclaiming the hope for mankind, for Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. So let me speak to you about the oneness of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ by looking at it through a three-fold lens. First, the life of Christ was looking towards the cross. Secondly, the cross of Christ was looking towards the resurrection. And thirdly, the resurrection of Christ was looking towards the forgiveness of sinners. There was a beginning point that had to take place. There was a goal. Let's begin with the life of Christ was looking towards the cross. As you know, Jesus was God who became incarnate, who became man. John 1:1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. And the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. From the beginning, He was eternal. He was God. He became flesh. He abdicated His throne. He abdicated His glory, never His deity. So when He came, He became man, but He was still God. When He left, He was still God, and He's still God today. Jesus was the promised Messiah, as you know, who had come according to the prophetic eternal schedule. He was a child born, a son given, as Isaiah 9, 6 says, God's gift to us. He was the one who would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, Isaiah 53, 5 says, to give that provision to as many as will open their heart to him. You may be sitting here listening to the gospel I'm preaching, and from your point of view, consider that there's not really anything of much value in the gospel But being allowed to listen to the gospel is a high privilege and therefore it places high Responsibility before God not before me But before God because to those who much is given much more is required Every person in hell right now knows the consequences of having rejected the gospel and how they would give Anything they could to have another opportunity to hear the gospel and escape the wrath of God to come upon them at judgment. You ever do something really stupid? I mean really stupid. And what you would give to be able to have that day over again. But you can't. Nothing's undoable, nothing is can be undone. So the only solution that you and I have as sinful men and women is to fall upon the feet of Christ and say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me for all I've done against you. It's forgiveness, absolute forgiveness by what he did for us. Only those responding to the gospel understand the high privilege by the gospel that has transformed them and are ever thankful to God for every day that they live under his grace. It's appointed unto every man to die once, and after that the judgment, Hebrews 9.27 says, no one can escape it. The cross you see without the resurrection would be like uh, using a credit card that has been canceled. It would be fraud. It would be worthless. If Jesus would have just died and never risen, then we're fooling ourselves. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15.14, if Christ has not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty, because they were doubting the resurrection. You're teaching the resurrection didn't exist in the church of Corinth. Paul again says, yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. So if in fact we say that God raises the dead but in fact Jesus wasn't raised, then we're only found to be liars. And we're just fooling ourselves. But the tomb... Was empty I've entered that same tomb it's still empty <laughs> he's not there the cross is the payment for the sins of the world and the resurrection is the receipt as the accepted payment when you pay your house off you pay your car off they're gonna give you the pink slip the title deed the loan company sends you a letter mr. Smith why haven't we received your payment this month we're going to charge you some delinquent interest. Well, you're the first one to get on the horn and say, you made a mistake. I have the pink slip. The car is mine. Or the bank for your house deed. That's exactly what happens with your sin. You hold a pink slip. It's your Bible, your new birth, in Christ Jesus. Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 15, 16, and 17, says, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not raised. Or risen. And if Christ has not risen, your faith is futile, empty. And then here's the worst of it all. Ready? We're still in our sins. So if, if Christ didn't rise, then I'm still in my sins. How pitiful is that to think that you're safe, but you're really damned? Then also those who have fallen asleep died. In Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most Pitiable, 1 Corinthians 15, 18 The most to be pitied. If what we're saying, what we're preaching, and what we're professing is mere myth, then we are the most to be pitied on this earth. But we're not. If you take the evidence of the New Testament, you take it into a courtroom... you present all the witness all the evidence that jury would have to conclude that jesus was the son of god who died for the sins of the world rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of the father there's no other conclusion it can come to the 12th psalm 501 time psalm paul's psalm and by the way as hard as it may seem for you to believe jesus appeared to many people in the jails in iran because a lot of muslims are being saved right now through the through the gospel, more than ever before. Incredible. You see, Jesus is alive. He's not dead. The cross speaks of death for every person in order that they might have eternal life through the Son, Jesus Christ. Again, Paul to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died, listen, for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So it was prophesied, predicted before it would happen. So when it happened, you know God revealed it. He's true to his word. The cross of Christ was looking towards the resurrection. The wrath of God was poured upon him. He was separated for the first time from all eternity. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Third verse down in Psalm 22, because you're holy. Jesus became sin. The father couldn't look upon him. The father turned his back on the son for the first time. The son was separated for the first time in a way that you and I don't understand because he took my place. He became literal sin that I might have a chance to be saved and forgiven. Mm -hmm. Notice the resurrection of Christ then was looking towards the forgiveness of sinners. That's the goal. The whole purpose. Through the proclamation called the gospel, which is good news, the message of faith, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and to the Gentile. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. And he's quoting Habakkuk 2, 4. That's Old Testament, the gospel. Virgin born, sinless, the God man. Amazing. The message of faith in Christ as our substitute, imparting to us his righteousness, not our own. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians five twenty one that God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he took Jesus, he put all my sin on him, he took his holiness, put it on me. Once again, who do you think got the best deal? Wounded for our transgressions. Laid upon us, on him, the iniquity of us all. Which of us would... Um, Give our son to die for ISIS? Which of us would give our son for gangbangers who just kill people callously? God gave his son for you and for me, a world that's in rebellion against him. You see, the message of faith in God's righteous standard for life is the only thing he accepts. Man cannot be accepted by God until he acknowledges his or her sin, that they are sinners. Our righteousness, Isaiah 64, 6 says, is this filthy rags. I have nothing to offer him. I have nothing to present to him that he said, well, yeah, you make it. Come on in. Now, when I compare myself to you, I may look pretty good. When you compare yourself to me, you might look pretty good. But here's the a, here's a, here's a standard. Here's the plumb line. You and God, how you doing? He, and he does this not to condemn us. He does this not to crush us. He does this to open our eyes to see what a desperate situation we're in and that our only hope is him. Why does he do this? Because he loves us. Why do you as a parent go out of your way to try to reach your child and confront him with reality because you hate him or because you love him. Now, your child thinks you hate him. Let's get that straight. But you don't. He thinks you're trying to make his life miserable, but you're not. That's a picture of God in us. And it's through the invitation that all mankind repent from their sins by the power of God, 1 Corinthians 1.18, to justify me, to forgive me, to make me a new creature, to give me a new divine nature. Revealing the wisdom of God to no man in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, not according to the wisdom of man. Wisdom of man always justifies and excuses and points fingers and, you know, they go for dysfunctionalism. It's not my fault, my parents, you know, and the kid, they took my milk money away. And, you know, we're raising a bunch of pansies in America today. There's no men around. Everybody can't handle life. It's always somebody's fault. They need protection. God excludes no one. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should fall come to repentance. Yet not all will come. You could be like the thief on the cross. I don't know how many times they heard the gospel, but I knew they heard it that time, and I knew that was the only time after that. So I don't know. Tomorrow's promised to Nobody. Repentance means a change of mind with a change of heart as evidence in the life. It implies an acknowledgement of my sin, a confession of my sin, an abandonment of my sin, and trusting Christ to live my life now. I'm set apart, consecrated to God. I live for Him and through Him through the Word of God, the Holy Spirit. Never sinless, never perfect, but I can hit the mark now. I can see both sides of the streets now. As a non-believer, I only saw a one-way street. The message, both of the New and the Old Testament, It's boiled down to one word. You ready? Repentance. That's what's being ignored from the pulpits of America today. That's why our nation's in the trouble it's in. You hear a lot of gospel about how God wants you to be rich, how God wants you to be healthy, how if you had enough faith, you would have a Rolls Royce, or they mix the gospel with human philosophy and psychology and just make you feel good about yourself the esteem gospel. But the churches are not preaching repentance anymore. Woe to those shepherds. You said, "I don't want to be negative. They don't, they don't want to turn people off. Are you kidding me? They're going to hell. And you're worried about turning them off? Because they're going to hell, God wants to turn them on. Open their eyes. The message is just very clear repentance. The prophets called the people of God who had walked away from God to repentance. John the Baptist um, Well, the last prophet, Malachi, who um, spoke in the Old Testament, he preached repentance in view of their sinful lifestyle because Jesus was coming in the first coming. After 400 years of silence where God did not speak no more, how did the New Testament open up? John the Baptist preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist got thrown in jail. Jesus begins his ministry. What does he preach? Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Not the self-esteem gospel. Now do you have enough faith you're going to be rich, healthy, and wealthy? You're going to get a Rolls Royce and you know, you're going to all this. Not, this, is all, this is a foreign gospel. It's only in America. <laughs> and we're making people comfortable while they're headed for hell. Jesus left what the apostles teach, what they preach. You turn the book of Acts, it says one thing. As the Holy Spirit fell upon them, What must we do to be saved? Repent. Repent. There is um, no other person that can do that for you except Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, on the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father by me. That's a pretty sweeping statement. He destroyed every ism, every other way. No other person can do it. Acts 4, 12 says there's only one name given under heaven whereby we must be saved, Jesus Christ. Mary can't save me. Peter can't save me. The Pope can't save me. Nobody. There's only one meteor between God and man, the one between us, to reconcile us. 1 Timothy 2.5, the man Christ Jesus. To me, the gospel is very clear and very narrow. It's God's way. Man wants to make it broader. Uh -uh. The broad way, and I'm not talking about shopping, (laughs) is is the way to hell. The straight and narrow is the way to heaven. Jesus made it. You can't change the gospel. Today, the emergent church is redefining Christianity, the Christian, and the gospel. Be careful. It's like that frog in the kettle. That fire is turned up so gradual, the water, that he just sits there and boils to death. Won't jump out. People are being lulled to sleep with the goodness of man. Listen, finish the sentence, good for nothing. I'm good for sin. How about you? Spurgeon put it this way. Listen carefully. I used to think if I could um, see the lost in hell, surely I must weep for them. But there is no such sentiment as that known in heaven. The believer there shall be satisfied with all of God's will. Even their loss has been their own fault. If my parents could see me in hell, they would not have a tear to shed for me. Though they were in heaven. For they would say, it is just thou great God. In other words, God is so perfect in his holiness that when he makes a judgment, it's never a mistake. And when you're in heaven, you would agree perfectly in heaven. You'll agree with him here if you're born again because you're a child of God. But in heaven, we'll really agree. There'll be no doubts at all. He went on to say, oh, believe me, If you could roll all sins into one mass, if you could take uh, murder and blasphemy and lust and adultery and fornication and everything that is vile and unite them all into one vast glob of black corruption, they would not equal even then the sin of, ready? Unbelief. That's it. This is the monarch's sin, the quintessence of the guilt the mixture of the venom of all crimes, the dredge of the wine of Gomorrah. It is the A1 sin, the masterpiece of Satan, the chief work of the devil. What did he say to Adam? Did God say brought doubt, unbelief? He ate. The whole human race fell. Sin entered in. Death followed. You see, sin is terminal as a disease if you want to look at it that way. Because we were born in trespasses and sins as Ephesians 2, 1 1 and 2 says. Spiritually dead. I have to be made alive by the gospel. You can be forgiven from all your sins. There is no sin that God will not forgive. Now, some people may not forgive you. Some people may never allow you to forget. But that's not the most important. The one important is, is God. He says, there is nothing you have done, there's nothing you can do that I'm not able to forgive. The only sin I can't forgive is the one you don't confess to me. The grace of God is as powerful today as it was in the day of Pentecost. You see, every one of God's attributes are called immutable. That means they can't increase or decrease. If you go down to the Pacific Ocean, you grab a five-gallon bucket of water or just a cup, coffee cup, you just decrease the Pacific Ocean by a coffee cup. All the sins that have been committed from the beginning of time and all the sins that God has forgiven have not affected His grace or any of His attributes. They're constant. So the problem is not with God to forgive sin, it's on the side of man to repent from sin, to confess it. Sin is not an invention of Christians, it's not a scare tactic. It's a fact of history. Look around you, you don't have to look far. You don't have to think of ISIS. Think of yourself. Think of your own personal family, your friends, things that go on, the things we do to each other, the things we say to each other, the atrocities that we commit. Because sin reigns in us. Sin is selfish, it destroys. Hell and the lake of fire are the place that was never made for man, but for Satan and his angel, Matthew twenty-five, forty-one. The sad truth is that many will perish and end up there when it wasn't made for them. God will do everything he can to reach you and any other sinner. How many opportunities you'll have, I don't know. But I know you'll have at least one like those seats on the cross. So always when people ask you, take them to the cross. Those guys heard the same thing, both made different choices. That's simplicity of the gospel right there. I don't know where, I don't know how, I don't know through who, but I know God will allow you to hear the gospel before you die. If he doesn't allow you to hear the gospel, then how can he judge you? When he judges people... It's because they have rejected him. So if he's holy, just and true, he must give you at least one opportunity because he sent his son to die for the whole world. Simple. So you have at least one chance, but I know you'll have more than one. But the problem is, you don't know when that be. Today's the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Tomorrow. So it's an acknowledgment of your sin that you're a sinner. Call repentance, Second Corinthians 7.10. Godly repentance, recognizing my sin against God, asking forgiveness for my sin, abandoning my sin, and becoming a new creature through that new birth so that God can live through me. Get into the word of God, praying, growing, believing the gospel, living in a different way as he leads and guides me. You know, there's the Chinese character for uh, crises is, um, it means two things. It means danger and opportunity. And such is the gospel. The gospel presents both characters. It's danger if you reject it. It's opportunity if you embrace it. But the choice is yours. God does not force anybody to go to heaven. But he wants no one to go to hell. But each person will make that decision and choice. And so our prayer is that you would open your heart to the Lord Because the resurrection was looking towards the forgiveness of sinners. And if you're not born again, you qualify. And it's the most loving truth that God can give to you. And he says it with a broken heart. And he says it with all the desire to forgive you of all you've ever done and committed to give you a new life in Christ Jesus. The oneness of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ it's clearly evident through this threefold lens. The life of Christ was looking towards the cross. The cross of Christ was looking towards the resurrection. And the resurrection was looking towards the forgiveness of sinners. God knocks on the door of your heart right now and says, do you want to repent? Do you want to let me in? Do you want me to forgive you and give you all that's necessary for life and godliness, all you have to say is call on my name.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese with an important reminder that God's divine plan of salvation is a free gift, but a gift that first must be received. Now you can request a copy of today's Essential Study, Raised to Ensure Forgiveness, available on CD for just $4. And by the way, this CD will also contain everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. So the title you'll be asking for once again is Raise to Ensure Forgiveness or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then join us for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese right here next time.